the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. God is God, we're not, so we need to shut up and listen. That's what he's saying here. Let your words be few. God is in heaven, you're on earth. And, and by the way, that's not just a statement of distance. That's a statement of reverence. God is in heaven. We're on earth. It's not just a statement of locality. It's a statement of supremacy. God is over all. God is above all. God is supreme, superior, Lord, and King. We're not, so we need to listen from he who is. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ecclesiastes. We can get so used to thinking of Jesus as a buddy that we forget to grasp the fact that he is God. He is our creator. He is the most holy of beings. Pastor Gary challenges us to not forget the reverence of God. Though he is our father and friend, he is also our king and judge. We must not diminish the absolute authority which he has. Remember to approach him as the humble servant you are. Approach him as your king and thank him for his grace and greatness. Never allow yourself to think that you may know better than he. Well, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 5 with part 2 of his message, Right Worship. So when we come to the house of God, it's a literal opportunity for us to slow down our pace, be contemplative, and a figurative opportunity for us to examine our lives and to see is there any inconsistency between our faith and our Sunday worship so we can come into the house of God realizing he is worthy of our praise and there should be no difference between the way we are on Sunday and the way we are during the week. Second John verse 6 says, this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. That's guarding your steps. Paul prayed in Colossians 1.10 that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work. So that's, that's what we're called to be about. Consider when we come to the house of God, into whose presence we come, may we slow down the pace of our lives and we contemplate our own heart and may we be sincere through the rest of the week as much as we are on Sundays. So when you put together the idea of the literal and the figurative guarding your steps, in general, number one for you note takers, what Solomon is saying here is that worship is about a reverential attitude toward God. Worship is about a reverential attitude toward God. And let me just add, and this, this might get a little sensitive, so you might want to just kind of pull your feet in underneath your, your seat so I don't step on your toes. 
But part of having a reverential attitude toward God in coming to the house of God is coming to the house of God on time. It's coming to the house of God on time. Now, I know that there are extenuating circumstances. I get that. And a house can get real crazy on a Sunday morning. And I think in large part, you know, honestly, I think Satan is involved in some aspects of trying to ruin our Sunday morning on our way to church. You know, why is it on Sunday morning the dog always throws up but not through the rest of the week? You know, and you, and you can't find the baby's pacifier and, and you're pulling your hair out trying to, and then you're arguing on the way to church. I, I, think, I think, and I don't want to blame everything on the devil, but I think Satan has some aspect of trying to ruin your Sunday morning so you'll be discouraged or not want to go to church at all. And I get that there are extenuating circumstances. But I think a lot of reasons we're late to church is just because we're lazy. Everybody still here? I mean, think about it. Think about it. Really, reason this with me. When you go to a ball game, you're not late. I mean, people go three hours in advance to a ball game, and they're tailgating in the parking lot three hours before the gate even opens. Now, I'm not suggesting, by the way, that you come to church, throw open your trunk, and start handing out Budweiser and, <laughs> and barbecue and ribs. I'm just saying that when you go to a ball game, you make sure you have extra time. You're going to get there early. You're going to have some fun. You're going to be there and get your seat. You're going to be ready to go. You know, if, if you were invited to, to dinner at some superstar's house, you'd be there on time. You'd be there on time. If you have to catch a flight to an important place, you're going to make sure you have extra time to get through security and the awkward pat down and all of that just so you can get on your seat and be ready to go. So why can't we get to God's house on time? Now, I know, I know, I know, I get it. Some of you probably, because you guys have bad parking around here. Okay. <laughs> I get that. That's a factor. We're working on it too, by the way. We bought back two acres that we had sold years ago, right on the corner of Tolbert, and it's going through the process through the town of Leesburg, but it's going to take an hour to pave paradise and put up a parking lot. <laughs> it's going to take a year. Did I say an hour? <sighs> I wish. It's going to take a year to get it through the process before we can make it a parking lot. But, uh, so we're working on the parking. But again, again, to be honest with you, listen, FedEx Field has bad parking too. But you manage to still get there and you bake it into your time. So I just want to say, bake it into your Sunday morning experience. Make sure you leave early enough to allow extra time for the parking, to allow extra time to check your kids into children's ministry. So you can come contemplative, unhurried into the house of God and find your seat and be ready to give God the praise that he deserves. All right, three people like that. All right. Thank you. Number two. You're clapping now, but let's see next week. Number two, because it's time change too next week. So... Number two, worship is about listening much and saying little. If you look at the rest of verse one into verse two, in verse one, he says, go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Go near to the house of God to listen. Now, he's not saying don't talk at all, like, you know, the house of God is a library. But the idea behind listen in the original Hebrew language is to take heed and obey. Take heed and obey. That's what the word listen means. It's like when a, when a coach or a teacher says, all right, everybody, listen up. 
They don't mean just tune in. They mean heed what I'm about to say and do what I'm about to say. That's what Solomon is writing here. We need to go to the house of God and we need to heed what God says and we need to obey what God says and we need to listen. We need to listen. I don't know if you thought about it that way, but when you come to the house of God and you listen, you are actually worshiping him. True or false, you're worshiping God right now. True. You know, as as I'm teaching, as we're going through the Word of God, I'm teaching, you're listening. You're actually worshiping God. You say, well, I'm not doing anything. You're listening. And, And I pray and I hope that as we listen, we also apply what we hear. But listening, instead of just mouthing off and saying rash things to God, is bringing worship to Him. And so Solomon says, draw near to listen. James 1.22 says, and then don't merely listen to the word, but do what it says. Otherwise, we deceive ourselves. And to put some things in perspective, Solomon adds in verse 2. Look at verse 2. He says, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Translation, God is God, we're not, so we need to shut up and listen. That's what he's saying here. Let your words be few. God is in heaven. You're on earth. And and by the way, that's not just a statement of distance. That's a statement of reverence. God is in heaven. We're on earth. It's not just a statement of locality. It's a statement of supremacy. God is over all. God is above all. God is supreme, superior, Lord, and king. We're not. So we need to listen from he who is. We need to hear what God has to say to us. You'll notice he goes on to say that we should listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. That's what he says there in verse 2. Now, what in the world is the sacrifice of fools? Well, he goes on in the following verses to explain what the sacrifice of fools is. Basically, the sacrifice of fools is the hasty speech of broken promises. He talks about how making the vows that you don't keep is the sacrifice of fools. Being rash with your words is the sacrifice of fools. Offering empty promises is the sacrifice of fools. And you can circle in in your Bibles or highlight all the different times that he uses in the verses I, I read at the top of our study, uses about speech and communication. He talks about your mouth. He talks about utter, the word utter. He talks about words. He talks about speech. And many times he talks about vows that we make. This is tremendous emphasis on on empty promises and words and, and the rash things that we say. In other words, one of the worst things that we can do in disrespecting God or dishonoring him is to make a vow or a promise before God that we do not keep. If you want to worship God, Say less, because when you make a promise or a vow before God, that honors him, but it dishonors him if we break the vow or don't complete the promise. And this, this varies from, you know, extreme to it can be something as simple as what I call the dealmaker prayer. Anybody ever prayed the dealmaker prayer? It's like, God, I'll make a deal with you. If you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. You know, Lord, if you, Lord, get, if you get me this job... If you get me this job, I'll stop drinking. You know, we make those kind of promises, and then, and then we get the job, and we celebrate with a drink. You know, and then it's just like, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? So it can be something like that, or it can be something as serious as making a vow before God to love, honor, and cherish in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, and cleaving to this person so long as I shall live. 
That's making a vow to God. And a lot of people make that vow to God. And on average, 50% break it. And why is it in the church that statistic is just as bad? Do Christians not understand the value of their words? I get it when people who aren't Christ followers say rash things and then they decide later they don't want to keep the promise that they made. But for Christians who are Christ followers, we need to understand the sacredness of a vow. We need to understand the importance of a promise. I get, I get, again, there can be some biblical grounds for divorce, and I'm not here to shame people who have had divorces. There can be adultery, there can be desertion. The Bible gives a two-clause approach, and only two clauses, to a biblical grounds for divorce. And I know that you can be divorced and try to do all you can to fight for your marriage, and things can still crumble. I'm, I'm not saying this to shame everybody, because there are unique stories, but in general... In general, we had better take the vows we make a lot more seriously than we do. Today, we treat a marriage vow like it's a change order at McDonald's. Well, I decided I, I don't want the fish fillet anymore. I, I, I want the Big Mac. It's, it's, not, it's not quite like that, friends. Or it's not like upgrading the car. You know, I'm just like, but I'm, tired of, I'm, I'm tired of this model that I've been driving for a while. You know, her engine just don't purr like it used to. Well, maybe that's because, bud, you don't know how to start her engine. Yeah, mm mm-hmm. Welcome back, Pastor Gary. Yeah, thank you. I'm just saying that sometimes we say things and then we don't end up keeping the vow that we make. And Psalm 15 verse 4 says that God honors the one who keeps his oath even when it hurts. And Deuteronomy 23, 23 says, whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. When we draw near to God, we should draw near to do a lot more listening than talking. And when we do talk and when we do make a promise and make a vow and say something before God, we should honor that vow and make that promise good because in that way it worships him. The third and the final thing we'll look at for today is worship is about giving. Now, okay, I can hear it now. Oh, great. Here comes the money talk. Uh, no, no, I'm actually not going to go down that, that road, um, only in, in so far as one small reference, but it is, it is a smaller picture to the larger idea of what the word giving means in terms of worship. When someone does not fulfill his or her vow, look at what Solomon adds in verse 6. He says, God's going to get angry. He says, so you better fulfill your vows, otherwise God will get angry and destroy the work of your hands. That's what he says there in verse 6. So should it surprise us? Now, what does he mean by destroying the work of your hands? Well, mark this verse down in the margin of your Bible right there, Deuteronomy 16, 16. In Deuteronomy 16, 16, God commanded that every worshiper who came to the house of God was not to come empty-handed, was not to come empty-handed. Now, again, that can include an offering. Yes, I do believe in the basic principle of tithing, giving a tenth of your income, joyfully celebrating with God and God's people what God has done because he's lavished his goodness and given his blessings into our lives. And so the least we can do is return a portion of it as an expression of worship. That is an aspect. But don't default with the word giving and thinking in terms of money, just like don't default with worship and think it only means singing. Giving is a disposition. 
It's an attitude of the heart. It's the idea when you come to the house of God, it's the one place where you're not coming to get. You're coming to give. You're coming to offer. You're coming to worship the Lord. You're coming to surrender your thoughts, your heart, your sin. You're coming to uh, worship and celebrate Him because of your joys and the blessings. You're coming to give Him your very lives. It's all about giving because you're only mirroring the one who is the greatest giver. See, because the Lord so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God is the biggest and best giver of all. And when we come into his house with the disposition of, I just want to be a giver. I just want to serve other people and I want to worship God. I'm here to give, not to get. We're mirroring the character of our father in heaven. Now, do I receive in the process of giving? Yes, because that's the wonderful law of reciprocity with God. As you give, as you worship, as you surrender, as you, as you, you know, offer your lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, God does a wonderful thing. He meets our attitude of giving with his giving into our own hearts and lives in wonderful, immeasurable ways. But that's not the mentality I come to church with. I'm going to get from God. I come to the house of God, not empty-handed. I come with the disposition of I'm going to give to God, I'm going to serve other people, in this way I will receive, but that's not my ambition. And here's the reason why this is a challenge for us, because we live in a culture that is a very consumer-oriented, consumer-driven culture. It's all about me, what I want, we want our steak done right, we want our hair cut right, we want our car washed right, we want a stewardess to give us the extra snacks, because it's all about me, and we paid for this ticket, or we bought this thing, and so we want good service. Now listen, I, I... I understand there's an aspect to, you know, uh, being sensitive to the consumer. I get that. And uh, one of the worst things is bad service and rude people at business establishments. And and there's no excuse for that. Um, Last summer, uh, our family as a family uh, vacationed, vacationed together in North Carolina. So we had all three kids, their spouses, and our granddaughter. We didn't have our second granddaughter yet. So nine of us went on vacation together. And I had the idea, why don't we all drive together rather than car- carpooling? Well, we didn't, none of us had a car you know, big enough for nine people. So I went to a, uh, a car rental place at Dulles Airport, and I prepaid for a 15-passenger van so we could all go together. Ask me what I was thinking, I don't know. <laughs> no, actually, we had a great time. And as long as the drive it was, it was actually a good time. But I show up at this car rental place. I had prepaid online, credit card, everything, 15-passenger van. So guess what I'm expecting when I show up at the car rental place? 15-passenger van. I paid in advance. They'd had my credit card. They had pulled it out of my account for like a month in advance. So I show up at this car rental place, which will go unnamed. By the way, what, what is that? What, what do you... What do you call it when you keep like a ledger at home, like for expenses and income every month? What is that called? A budget. Oh, okay. (laughs) Budget. Okay. So back to the story. So, so I went to this car rental place that'll go unnamed and, um, and I show up at the counter. It had been a long line, like 50 people. I was standing in a long line. I waited about 45 minutes just to get up to the counter. Okay. So I get up there, and, and I, here's my name. Here's my driver's license. Here's my credit card. I already had prepaid for this rental car. Uh, Mr. Hamrick, sorry, we don't have a 15-passenger van. So I, I kind of I prepaid for the whole thing. We have a 12-passenger van. We have a 12-passenger. You can take that. I said, well, I, I kind of I prepaid for a 15 passenger van. Mr. Hamrick, we only have a 12 passenger van. Take it or leave it. Uh, 
What, what, what did she just say? I said, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I prepaid it. She said, Mr. Hamrick, do you see these 50 people behind you? I said, yeah, I, I stood in that line for 45 minutes. She said, any one of them would like your 12-passenger van if you don't want it. Um, can somebody keep sharp objects away from me right now? I, I, I don't trust myself. I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. We'll, we'll give you 10% off uh, because, you know, we don't have the 15. We'll give you 10% back and we'll re- refund your credit card 10%. I said, um, can I speak to the manager, please? Yes. Hello. <laughs> she was the manager, too. So I'm like, this is, this is terrible service. She was being rude to me. And so like, what am I going to do? Okay, I'll take the 12-passenger van. We'll, you know, we'll make it work. We just wanted to spread out a little bit more. But okay, we'll take it. We'll, we'll make it work. Thank you very much. Let me sign. Okay, thank you for the keys. So I'm thinking, what recourse do I have? She's the manager. She's been rude to me. I have no other recourse. Oh, there's 50 people in the lobby. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. That's what I did. I'm never going to rent a car at fill-in-the-blank car rental place ever again. Bye-bye. And the crowd was like, you go, Pastor G. No, 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 that part didn't happen. But I I did think after I said that, like, there could be somebody from Cornerstone in this group right now. And maybe that wasn't the most Christ-like thing to do. But I I didn't like it, honestly. And I I think, you know, good customer service is an important thing. But we got to be careful with all of that. Because we can be so particular about how we want things done, we can come into the house of God and we still think it's about us. This is the one place you're going to go where it's not about us. Now look, I, I want to be very sensitive to this whole idea as well, because as the pastor here, I can tell you that it's important to me, it's important to our staff and all the many volunteers, many of you who serve, to make sure that everybody who comes in the door of God's house has a good worship experience. That's important. So we want to make sure that the, the air conditioning and the heat is, is set at a comfortable level. If it snows, we want to make sure the sidewalks have been cleared off. When you come into the house of God, we want to make sure you're greeted by a friendly person who's smiling as you come through the doors, that your, the cup of coffee is decent, that the children's ministry is safe, that the bathrooms are clean. That's important. But please don't take a personal enjoyment experience and translate that into personal entitlement like we're used to in the rest of the world in our consumer-driven society because at the end of the day, coming to the house of God is not about any of us. It's about the Lord. It's about the Lord. And so when we come into the house of God, we guard our steps. We come not hurried, And we contemplate our own walk with Christ. And if we come with sin, we confess it. If we come with joy, we rejoice. If we come with sorrow, we pray. And we're careful that we listen and do what God says more than just utter rash vows. And we have the disposition as Christ followers that we're coming to the house of God to give because God is worthy of our worship and our praise and our offerings and our thanksgiving and He wants our sins and our burdens and we come to give and to serve others so that we might just have this ongoing disposition that it's not about me, it's about the Lord, it's about others. And as I come to the house of God, He does a wonderful thing in my own heart that I receive in the process, but that's not my ambition. My ambition is to make it about the Lord and to honor Him and to worship Him in His house 
and to serve others in the process. That's why at the end of all of this, Solomon summarizes it there at the end of verse 7 in your Bibles, and he says, therefore, stand in awe of God. Stand in awe of God. We're so blessed to be able to bring you challenging and biblically-based teaching with each new edition of Cornerstone Connection. We hope your faith is made stronger each time you tune in, as well as each time you open your Bible for yourself. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Gary's teachings in the book of Ecclesiastes, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. We have an extensive archive of teachings available for you there, which you can listen to or watch right online. Feel free to share these with friends and family. You can also download our mobile app to keep God's Word with you as you go about your daily activities. Do you live in the Leesburg area, or will you be visiting soon? If so, we'd like to extend an invitation to join us for our weekly gatherings. We meet each week to spend time in prayer and worship, studying the Bible, and getting to know each other better. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to get service times, more information, and directions. You can also call us, 703-771-1500. We love getting to chat with our listeners and finding out how we can be praying for them. That number again is 703-771-1500. Thanks for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again to Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, you're not alone. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Hope is an open ocean, jump in and you'll find the corner. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.